of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 449. Jason Lingren is with me, and we brought Wayne McCroy in to help us finish up part two, part one of data or big data or data collection. Uh, was episode 448. This is part two. This episode is 449. The only difference is last one was me and Jason, and we have added Wayne to tee off because so many people wanted to hear the rest of the research. Before we jump in, as of October 1, like a boatload of credit card subscriptions just died all at once. I mean, a lot of them. And so I just want to mention to you, I have a feeling a lot of people didn't want that to happen. So you might want to go check. You can obviously resub, but who knows what the hell is going on with banking. Um, We have actually no control over billing. All the institutions have pretty much bogarted that one. But anyhow, let's jump in. Welcome, Jason. And a lovely but rainy good morning. So we made it about halfway through our notes. We decided to bring Wayne in to knock out the other half. So let's do this. Welcome, Wayne. Haven't had you on in a while. Good morning, gentlemen. Always good to be back here. Every time I announce that I'm going to have you on, uh, I get a lot of he's my favorite emails. So um, we'll hand it back and forth here. I think you know where we're picking up, Jason. If I recall, we were in Facebook as we had to cut for the last episode. So we're going to finish off with uh, Facebook. A significant use of big data technologies that was adopted by Facebook included image recognition. This is a technology that instructs computers on how to detect the details in a specific picture or video by guiding it through a variety of other images. This rather scary technology enables Facebook to be able to place the people in the pictures prior to us typing in their names and tagging them. It also allows the users to gain more access to the pictures of objects or things that they may like in their news feeds whenever any of their connected friends like or shares them. The deep learning application known as DeepFace is adopted for teaching the platform to detect people in pictures. The platform claims that its most advanced image recognition tool is more successful than human beings are in detecting if two different images are of the same person or not. There's so much to cover. And is it lost on anybody that they're going to name this thing deep face? Everyone's familiar with deep fake. A friend of mine who is a bit of a code ninja, to say the least, sends me a video one day of his face mixed with Al Pacino's face. And it looks like Hollywood did it. You, You can see that the two faces have been mixed, but it's uncanny. And he did this with just tools that he found on the dark web. The thing about this and people don't comprehend like this whole selfie culture. The metadata on images taken in the modern era have a lot of extra data besides the image you're handing them. Often, or most of the time, the metadata includes GPS coordinates of where the image was taken. Now, you can easily get tools that will take an image and strip or change the metadata, but think of all the data that's being handed in. Um, people just think, oh, it's an image. Who cares? They get that. No, go go get a metadata reader for images and look at what's actually in there. The first time I did this was in the 90s. At that point, I dragged an image into a notepad because it reads text and you get a bunch of gibberish, but the metadata is at top. And I was able to easily place someone in the driveway where the image was taken because, of course, I just went over to Google Maps and slapped in the coordinates and I had a aerial picture of where the image was done. What people should comprehend is this is scary powerful. I've already mentioned what China did. China had real trouble with facial recognition because color of hair, color of eyes, face shapes are much more similar in an Asian country like that. So what they did, as I mentioned before, is they put up a kiosk, said, if you smile into the kiosk, we'll give you like lower rent or something. Within two days, the algorithms had figured out that they could ID anyone with a micro expression. And that's just to get started. I mean, what would you add, Wayne? Uh, I would add, I think that this particular tool, this particular um, feature of Facebook 
is insidious in a lot of ways, because here's the thing. And this first came on my radar back in about, I think it was 2014 or so, when I realized that uh, somebody tagged me in a picture on Facebook. And this was largely much before I started really using Facebook all that much, because uh, the only reason I really have a Facebook account is because my wife created one for me back in like 2012 or 2013 or something like that. So I started looking on there to see what's what and this kind of thing. But uh, I didn't really post a lot on there at that point. And I was at a party at a friend's house and somebody tagged me in the picture. So here's the insidious part of this. Even if you don't participate on these platforms or something, they still have your data. They have your picture. You, they have your image out there. And you've been identified by the algorithm. So regardless of whether you uh, participate in that social media platform or not, it's, the potential is there for them to steal your data still. And that's the most insidious part about this, especially when it comes to this deep face technology, as they call it here, the facial recognition. Uh, it will attach a data set to your image and be able to identify you from there on out after somebody just tags you in a post and there's your picture. It, the AI or the algorithm uh, will figure out who you are based upon the other people in the picture. So if they name a bunch of people and say they're with this person and that person, and they have this photo there of this large group, well, the algorithm can identify each of the users it's already familiar with. And then by process of elimination, it could figure out who the other people are in the photo based upon that. So even if they don't have any of your data to start with, all it takes is for somebody somewhere to have you in a picture or a photograph and post it to social media. And from that point on, the algorithm will be able to identify you and perhaps um, be able to identify other data that goes along with your photograph from other sources, because there's a dossier on each and every one of us out there. And that's the thing that people uh, seem to uh, overlook at a lot of times with this stuff. It's about the collection of all this data, this metadata, this entire dossier on each and every person. And they have this information out there, the various uh, corporations of this world, as well as government and intergovernment agencies. They collect all this data and they do so for a reason. And a lot of it has to do with targeting you with ads from the corporate side of things. But there's other uses for it as well. And they could create this entire dossier just based upon information they gather from third-party sources or from an outside source. So you don't even have to be volunteering your information on a social media platform for them to get stuff on you. That's the whole point here. That's the concerning part about this type of technology. There's, I mean, I've said this before in past episodes, the only usage of the word user that I'm aware of is for drug addicts and people using digital things. And is there a coincidence? Maybe we should all go back to that 70s or 80s cartoon where McGruff informs everyone users are losers. The problem is, is that the world is shaping up around us where there's not going to be a lot of options unless you want to go live on a mountaintop in a teepee. I will remind everyone in the episode image, I put two laws. I consider them laws. One of them I think is a law. Um, the law of large numbers and the wisdom of the crowd. Go look these up. Wisdom of the crowd is much, much, much easier to deal with for the average mind. I've explained what it is before. But in the laws of networking, um, one of them is basically birds of a feather flock together. When people tag you in an image, they are doing you no favors. But Jason, we got to Oh, I wanted to say a thing about TikTok. I went back after we did part one and I started doing a little more research. and. From what I understand at this moment, and I could know more, a lot more, uh, is that TikTok is one of the worst data collection tools ever, and they're getting it on everybody, and everybody knows it's run by China, who's saying um, that they're not applying the Chinese standard to the rest of the world, but I'm calling poppycock. Um, it is astonishing. If you even hit their website, even if you don't hit their website, uh, it, it's starting to look like TikTok is the gold standard of data collection for online platforms. But again, I could know more about this. Jason? Well, we will be getting to TikTok in detail in a little bit. All right. Facebook adopted facial recognition in the United States back in 2010 when it was inadvertently tagging people in pictures through its tag suggestions tool. Yeah, I'm sure it was quite inadvertently. The user's face would get scanned by the tool, and then the tool, 
offer suggestions on who it assumes that the person could be. The tool proved to be quite controversial at the time. Being offered the choice of switching it off, many users were not. Although users had the option to switch it off, they were not distinctly asked if they had wanted it to be activated in the first place. As of December of 2017, the tool was rechristened as Face Recognition, and the feature for switching it on and off was said to have become smoother for users. Later in 2019, the feature was changed to opt-in by Facebook as an effort for the platform to be more privacy-oriented. So is anyone missing what just happened, what he just described? What he basically did is we did what we wanted while you were unaware of it. It's a little bit like China's kiosk, right? We need to get crap loads of data. We need to get our algorithms up to speed. So we're just going to hammer you all behind the scenes. Then we're at some point, because we know what we're doing is sketchy, we're going to say, oh, you can go turn this off, but many people won't be aware of it or even tech savvy enough to go deal with it. And then later on, they realize that there's probably a risk that somebody is going to point out that they don't own their image or they don't, you know, all the ownership of name and the, the law episodes we've done. So they they start to backpedal, but they've already got what they need. And the real shame of this is it's bad enough when algorithms are on their own, but when they t- cleverly get you to opt in to help them get their algorithms up to speed, you're basically helping them track an IDU. And does anyone need to be told what happens with this tech? If we get to a police state, where do you think the tech that will drive it is coming from? Clearly the private corporations. Wayne? Well, the thing about this is this is what they do with so much of everything they present to us. They give you the option to opt out of something rather than to opt into something. You see, they uh, put what they want up front and they tell you, well, you you don't have to participate in this. You can opt out at any time. And this is kind of insidious in a way when you really think about that, because this gives them the tools they need up front to do the things they want to do without you realizing it, first of all. And then second of all, it's not something that you've necessarily agreed to, even though they'll say, well, you signed the terms of service agreement and this is part of the terms of service. It's kind of deceptive on the face of it all. So they, they set up these types of things to uh, collect your data up front, and then you have the option to opt out of it. So they've already got your data once you decide to opt out of it, because most of the time people don't realize, hey, okay, this is collecting my data. This is doing this and that. And this is part of uh, the app I uploaded on my phone or whatever the case may be. And they don't realize that till after the fact to opt out. And by that time, it's too late. They already got your data or the bulk of the data that they want from you. So this being the case, this is one way that they do things in so many ways. They give you the option to opt out rather than to opt into something. So simply by using a service or uh, a technology that they give you or whatever the case may be, by implementing this in this manner, they, they got the information they want on you up front. So they've gotten what they want from you. By the time you opt out, it's too late. They already got you. And, and that's the whole point to this. That's why they set these things up in that kind of way. Because even for, you know, as soon as you sign up for a service like this, they already have collected various data points from you. So even in the, the uh, initial signup phase of it, If you opt out after that, well, they've already got a bunch of your information they want uh, because largely they'll they'll have you sign up for things like this. Okay, what's your email address? Uh, Once they have that, I mean, then, you know, that's carte blanche, everything else they want to do. They could collect all kinds of other data on you just based upon that alone. So once they have that, and even if you opt out of uh, something like this after the fact there, it's too late. They already got what they want from you. And that's the whole point here. They set these things up in in such a manner that uh, they are able to get what they want out of the, the contract right up front. And then you decide what you want to do with it. And from that point on, okay, you may say, I don't want to use this feature and they'll turn it off. But by that point, it's too late. They've already got your data. So they got what they want and you've given it to them 
willingly, even though you can opt out now. And they do the same thing with many different things. It's not just Facebook. It's all these different uh, platforms and companies out there, especially in the tech sector. Uh, The terms of service agreements that people sign, nobody reads those. You just click on the thing and guess what? Then they have what they want from you. And even if you have options to opt out of things later on, it's too late. So they've already collected the metadata and the data they need for their dossier on you. And and that's the bottom line here. It's a very one-sided situation from these big tech companies like Facebook. It's a monopoly situation when it comes down to it, because there's always just one big company that controls one sector of this internet uh, type of application here. So you have Facebook. There's no true competitors for Facebook out there. Same thing with YouTube and these other platforms. There's no true com- competition out there. Uh, so once you sign up for this, this is, you know, if you want to stay connected with other people in this way, these are the platforms you have to use. And once you sign up for it, even if you opt out of all of their other aspects of things here like this, they still have what they want from you. And it's it's so one-sided that it's abused heavily by these corporations. And that's the concerning part of this. They've taken your data one of the most valuable assets that there is, and they've weaponized it against you, essentially. Uh, This is what the whole thing boils down to. They've weaponized your data. They've been able to collect it from you in a uh, not so, uh, how should we say, not not in a straightforward way. That's the whole thing. They they always use manipulation and try to be deceptive about... uh, what it is that they're collecting or what they get out of the agreement because they're giving you this free service. Well, ain't nothing in this world that's free. And they use your data as payment upfront for this stuff. The big shift came around the year 2000. And while aspects of this were going on prior, people would not have accepted what is now commonplace. Around the year 2000, it became commonplace for the so-called customer who was no longer a customer because the product was free, making them the product. That is the big shift. Used to be a thing called customer service. We don't have any semblance of this idea anymore. Um, When a thing is free, you have become the product. But what's so sad about it is even when a thing is not free, you have still become the product. Um, And here's one of the real shifts that we've seen In the law episodes, we've talked about revelation of the method and acquiescence being agreement. That's what's going on here without the revelation of method, by the way, mostly. The acquiescence, like a good example is what PayPal does all the time. People build up an honest business to make a living and they're using PayPal. And then roughly every other week, you get this message from PayPal saying, hey, we've updated the agreement. That's a stretch in the first place. Is that legally an agreement? Has a contract really been made? Did two minds meet? Does everybody comprehend what's been agreed to? I would just point out. But in that, they say, if you don't like the updates to the agreement that we had prior, then you need to close your account. And this is such a one-sided thing because the truth of it is, and I know because I'm dealing with it right now, is it's impossible to pay for your server, do all the things you're doing and close PayPal. You just can't do it unless you're filthy rich. Then I guess you could do whatever you want. As a matter of fact, you could give things away for free if you were that wealthy, but it's a trap and it's not honest. And I'm guessing there will come a point when there's a reckoning to all of this. Uh, Who knows who comes out on top? Jason? The manner in which the habits of Facebook users are assessed has significant cause for alarm. In January of 2020, Facebook introduced its Off Facebook Activity Tracker. This tool offers users an itemized list of the websites, apps, and real-life stores that the platform is aware that they have visited. There is an available option to disable the tracking. Through these latest assessing tools, the platform records everything the user does from how long their cursor hovers over certain parts of a page to what websites they visit outside of the platform, which is then used for generating the appropriate algorithms to determine the kinds of targeted advertisements to show the users. 
Facebook has its own data science team with its own page where they consistently post updates regarding the insights that they have gathered from assessing the habits of the incredible amount of people browsing the site. From doing such things as predicting the intelligence of users, what their perspective on political issues may be, or even their emotional stability. Big data has played an extensive role in making Facebook extremely effective at understanding and manipulating their users in significant ways. So basically consider this. These dossiers that Wayne's been talking at are make an old dossier seem like child's play because it's really a psychological profile as part of the dossier. It's a psychological profile which has never been able to be put together before because in the old world, there used to actually be some secrets. They may have known things about you, but they didn't know everything about you. Well, that bird has flown. So the psychological profile, how could I cue this up? Think of it this way. What if someone wanted to manipulate a person and they knew they were a drug addict or had past problems with drug addiction, and so they just went around offering drugs every day, all day? That's basically what's going on online. The addiction factor is being leveraged heavily by the algorithms for that hit of dopamine. It works probably the best on the younger crowd. Oh, I got another like instant dopamine hit, but guess what? That's over. Now you need another one. It's a form of addiction. It's really no different than drugs, except maybe you don't have a hangover. Actually, maybe you do. But the point I'm making is the psychological dossier gives them such a one-sided advantage for manipulation that it is easy for them to get you to quit writing your story. You know, your story that goes in the book of life, that's what's being taken from you and so much more. But I want to make an announcement here. As I got into the data collection, and we've done this a few other times, I wanted a solution. I mean, we got to be at a point where there's things we can do. And, and there are. Right now, you could do it. Right now, you can go search the big websites and you can find where you contact them to say three things. Don't collect my data. Don't save my data. Don't sell my data. Problem is, is it's a lot of work. And the average person, even if they searched around, might not even know where the big centers to hit are. I've made some relationships through some of my Code Ninja friends where I'm going to ask a man to come on who has created a tool that is one of the earliest to try to scrub your data as much as possible. And while I want to be upfront, this is not about money. This is not about selling the tool. I don't make decisions that way. And I'm going to tell you flat out, anyone listening could go do it on their own right now. It would just be a hell of a lot of research and a hell of a lot of emails. And I've already started this process to see if it works. And it does work. Um, what you'll find is you get contacted back and then you have to do other steps. And then on top of that, some places make you prove who you are. I'm not even kidding. So they're collecting data on you and then they make you prove who you are to get them to stop. But in the future, I'm going to ask this man on who's an expert at all this and he does offer a service. And again, I'm not selling the service and I'm telling everyone out there, you could do this right now. If you just simply go research and track down all the places you got to contact, do all the response emails, but it is not easy, which is why I searched out a service, one of the early services to try to do it. But that was a big mouthful. Well, at any rate, uh, they make it as inconvenient as possible for you to opt out of these things, don't they? Right. <laughs> but they'll tell you that is your option. You could opt out at any time. All you have to do is contact this one and that one and this one and that one and say, don't collect my data, don't sell my data, don't store my data. <laughs> and it sounds like it's a real pain to go through the process. It is. And that's the whole point. They make these things as inconvenient as possible for people to opt out of. And we have so much of that going on in our society right now. Just look at the events of the past couple of years here. Look at all the things that they were trying to uh, coerce people into doing just to be able to access goods and services. They made it as inconvenient as possible to people for them to opt out of what they wanted, which should have been optional to begin with. But uh, they went ahead and they made certain mandates and uh, tried to uh, put in place certain systems wherein if you didn't comply with what they wanted you to do, well, you weren't allowed to access their goods or services anymore. And they've done this in such a way as to make it socially acceptable for that to be the case. This is a slippery slope for certain. 
And I don't think I need to tell listeners of this show uh, about that. I think we all realize at this point, this is the slippery slope we're standing on. And we see how, by and large, much of the population is going ahead, going ahead and uh, giving in to demands, ridiculous demands that are being made of them in these, these ways, because it's inconvenient for them to opt out. And that's how this has been set up from the get-go. They make it so that they get what they want from you up front, and then it's up to you to opt out of their system. And they make it as inconvenient and uncomfortable as possible for you to do that. They turn it into a pain so that perhaps you won't want to even try to pursue that avenue of thought of opting out of their system. And then you fall in line and do the things that they want because you have little choice unless you want to be put through this major inconvenience and headache of being uh, run ragged through the mud with all of this stuff. So that's why services like what you're mentioning here, Crow, are a valuable thing. If there's a way to opt out here for people where somebody's already done the major footwork for them, uh, then that makes it a little easier for people to uh, opt out of this system. And by and large, a lot of people aren't even aware of the many ways in which their data is being collected and used. And that is the concerning thing, because like I said, oftentimes you don't even have to willfully participate in, uh, say, a social media platform for them to get your data, right? This This is just one tool that they use to make things a little easier for themselves but they will find ways to collect your data one way or another. And like I said, something as simple as somebody tagging you in a photo online, well, they're volunteering your information for you. And you have no say in that because that wasn't you that gave up that information. It was somebody else. You just happened to be in the vicinity at the time. And, and this is the nature of this thing. So it's, it's almost impossible to completely opt out of these systems at this point because there's just so much of this technology out there and so many people using devices like smartphones and stuff like that, that uh, collect this data. And, you know, with this data, they could even collect the data of others with these tools. So that's the thing. Like if you're in a crowd of people, you have your smartphone, they have their smartphone. You don't think these devices communicate each other's locations and stuff. They know who's near who. This is the whole basis of how they came up with this digital tracking that they use for what they call contact tracing uh, of all of these different things that have happened here the past two years. These are some of the algorithms and uh, stuff that they're trying to uh, to tweak and make better. Uh, so that is one of the major reasons why they, they wanted to implement that. And this has to do with data collection as well and with... Uh, trying to centralize all of your, your data, your biometric data, your financial data, everything together in a central utility so that it could be accessed by the powers that be. And they could shut you off at the touch of a button. Uh, that's essentially what they, they would like to do with this. And that's what they're aiming for. And they, they try to get everybody in with this whole system that they're setting up. So another reason I mentioned what I just mentioned is what I found as I started testing this on myself. Uh, we went to places like Truthfinder and we took my slave name and we did a background check basically from 2001 forward. What year did I just say? They knew pretty much everything, but I was unusual because I don't have a social media fingerprint to speak of because I don't use it. Go to my Twitter. I'm following nobody. I don't respond to anybody. But here's the point. What I found is, yes, this works. It's not the golden bullet, but it does make a big difference. But here's the thing. You've announced your intent. Your intent has been announced to the digital realm that you don't want your data collected. That might be a big deal in the future, but here's the downside. Once you do the initial scrub, which can take a week or two, but it's all automated if you choose to use the service. If you do it yourself, then you're just answering emails and responding and doing the things you've got to do and hopefully have found the correct places to target. Um, what happens over time is the very places that have agreed not to get your data, you do some other interaction online and it starts over. So some of the automated tools, the particular one that I'm still looking at and testing, it's ongoing. So once you do it, it keeps checking for the backslide. But here's the thing to, to keep in mind, and this happened to me. In the fall of 2017, 
my YouTube account, which I was using at the time to put up content was deleted. Now I walked around feeling like I had been punched in the gut for about three or four days and everyone's saying, go, you got to go set up a new account. You got to do that. And then all of a sudden it, it, it just came home to me. Why the hell am I feeling like someone just beat me up? This is ridiculous. I'm done. And I just let it go. What I realized at that moment was you've got to write your own story. So most people listening, if I said, go quit your Facebook, they can't imagine it. But what actually is going on here? If you quit Facebook, you would be more like someone in the older days that was writing more of their own story because all of the interaction on Facebook is getting you to subtly change your habits. Not only that, outside sources are getting you to do a thing that you would not have done. Email by itself does that. I don't have email on my phone. You can ask Jason. You know why? Because when I'm walking through life writing my story, I'm not going to stop, pick out my phone every time it beeps at me and do an action. Not going to do it. And I think these are things to just be aware of. Um, and everyone gets to decide, you know, you do what you want to do, but you should have a good image, which is the point of these episodes. Jason? A prominent example that Facebook data has been used to massively violate the privacy of its users is the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal. This scandal is focused on the gathering of personal data from over 87 million people by Cambridge Analytica a strategic communication firm. The firm, as well as others, gained access to the personal information of Facebook users. This was said to have occurred due to a number of factors, which included improper safeguards against companies who perform data harvesting, lack of oversight of the platform's developers, and owing to the users consenting to largely vague terms and conditions of the platform. Cambridge Analytics had been able to gain access to personal user data via a personality quiz application that was titled, This is Your Digital Life. The data that was gained through this app is quite effective for developing what was called a psychographic user profile. By adding the application to a user's Facebook account for taking the quiz, the creator gained access to the profile information, user history, and also the friends which the user had on Facebook. This would also include posts that the user made, posts that the user liked, and posts that the user's friends had made. There it is, man. Informing on yourself, your friends, your mom, your yeah, you know, everyone informing on everyone, but I mean, sounds like is like, I always use this rule and that is not a carte blanche rule. You still have to apply reason. But the moment I am in life and I see something that sounds like I immediately say in my mind, it's probably is like, and I began to examine it. What's the name of this joint? Cambridge. There are two prominent higher education places one of them is called Cambridge. One of them is called Oxford. And almost all of the ruling elite and their children have gone through these places or subsidiary. And I'm talking about the Club of Rome, which is basically an executive branch for what's probably called the Committee of 300. People have written books since the 80s. And it's astonishing. This is the idea of what Weishaupt was doing with the Bavarian Illuminati where someone got his plan and they said, oh my God, this couldn't be stopped in a million years. That's what we're talking about here. But how is it that this place that just went back crap crazy uh, is named Cambridge? And by the way, they got in trouble. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, Jason, they had to shut down and people, you know, they had to hide because it was clear what they were doing was unacceptable, even to the places that sit there and watch Facebook and other places do it. I'm just saying, I mean, what would you add, Wayne? If I'm not mistaken, Cambridge got in a lot of trouble. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, they made a little movie about Cambridge Analytica. Well, yes, they, they got called out for what they did. But the thing is, they're still in operation today. And they're known as the SCL Group now. It's a subsidiary. Cambridge Analytica was a subsidiary of the SCL Group. And this is a company whose leaders have a lot of ties to not only the conservative party here in the U.S. or the right wing of the U.S. political structure, but also 
ties to the British royal family, the British military, and the U.S. Department of Defense and NATO, among others. So this being the case, I mean, these these are all the same people involved in this, the, the Committee of 300, these branches thereof of this group. This is the way that uh, the, the true power structure in this world operates. They, they use shady subsidiary groups like this. They use corporations and things of that nature to do the things they want to do. And it's all about data collection. That's what Cambridge Analytica was about. It was about collecting people's data for, the, for its use in terms of the election. And this is what they've gotten called out on. They wanted to uh, steer people's opinions in voting certain ways or supporting certain agendas within the political realm of things. And they got caught in this. Now, did they really get caught or is this just the cover story? I think this is just the cover story. This has been going on ad nauseum from time immemorial in one way, shape or form. This is how the intelligence community operates. This is how the secret society groups operate. And your allusion back to the Illuminati as formed by Weisop in Bavaria in 1776 is a perfect example of how this works. This has been done before. The old tricks are the best tricks. It's just the tools that they have now for data collection are far in advance of what they were back when Weisop founded the Bavarian Order of Illuminati back in 1776. You see, this has been going on for a very, very long time. It's just now they have these supercomputers and things like that that could analyze this data in real time. And it's all about infiltrating some of these big groups to, uh, you know, minister the agendas that these people want to administer throughout the different things. And it's, it's all about collecting these dossiers on people to know who's going to push the narrative they want and who's not going to. And, and this is a heavily important thing. So even though Cambridge Analytica got called out for this, I think it's just feeding more into the political paradigm here, the whole left-right paradigm. So now they're they're painting Cambridge Analytica with this brush. Oh, this was the right wingers. Uh, th this was the ones that were responsible for electing Trump into office and this kind of thing. So they, they paint them with this bad brush now saying, OK, well, that's not going to happen anymore. Now everything's legit. Right. It's on the up and up because, you know, now everything's going to shift over to the left. And, and it's all part of the same stupid nonsense that's gone on forever and ever here. Uh, it's it's still this illusion of choice that goes on, that they're creating in people's mind. And this is just one of the tools that they're they're utilizing in this way to make people believe, yes, well, we, we acknowledge we're doing this data collection, but it's only those bad right-wingers that did this. And now we've, we've called them out on this and we've shut it down. And, uh, you know, even though the companies continued on now as the SCL group doing still these very same things, it's not being done in the same way, and they're not acknowledging it now. So with that being the case, they're still manipulating people. They're just probably manipulating them in the other direction from where they were when they got caught with this or allegedly got caught, which I think is all you know, a setup in and of itself. Uh, they know what they're doing, and they know that uh, people being aware of what they're doing is going to cause certain people to have backlash against this this type of thing going on so they've used that to their advantage it's all manipulation at the end of the day this is how the intelligence agencies operate this is how like i said these secret society groups have operated from the earliest of times it, it's all about psychological manipulation and they are masters of it so even something like this they will use this as a tool to manipulate public opinion so what actually changed here Cambridge supposedly gets busted because they're messing with elections. What changed here was their name. They rebranded. They became SCL. S is 19, C is 3, L is 3. 1933, if you want to roll it all the way out, it becomes a 7, which probably could be associated with the mind weapon use of 7, which is, I'm not even going to get into the use of numbers. Um, it's their perverted ideas, but come on, SCC. Here's the thing. Cambridge Analytica Get, makes a big stir because they mess with the elections. Well, elections are fake. There is no portion of your voting that seats anyone ever and never has been. You're being polled, as we have pointed out so many times. So the big media blitz that supposedly gets them in trouble 
is about a fake idea. Oh, they skewed who got to be president. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Not unless the Electoral College was somehow affected. Um, and if that was true, you'd never hear about it in the first place. People do not vote, seat, or pick out the person that's running for president, and they never have. Not in this country. Anyhow, that's where the big stir comes in. And so even the supposed backlash is manufactured. Now people think that someone got in trouble when, in fact, what happened was they rebranded. They changed their name, and I'm guessing they're doing what they ever did, just more carefully. Jason? Meta Platforms owns a lot more than just Facebook. The mega corporation also owns WhatsApp, Oculus VR, and Instagram, among others. So let's take a moment to focus on Instagram. Instagram is a photo and video sharing social network platform. It has become one of the most acclaimed and famous apps worldwide. Instagram crossed a billion monthly active users in 2020. Instagram was started in 2010, and the app had progressed swiftly, swamping any competition by consistently upgrading its features and engaging itself in constant evolution. It is currently the second most downloaded app with TikTok in first place and Facebook in third. So, I mean, we all know that data is king. We all know that money used to be king. But you see, it's almost like money has become the prince because most of us in the world, our biggest problem is we don't have enough. This system has been created to prevent very many people from figuring out how to be wealthy. And what that means is there can only be one is the result. We see it everywhere. Whenever a really good new idea that's going to be popular is uh, how did TikTok end up in China? How did Facebook replace every other MySpace and everything else that was there? Either they pushed them out because they're powerful enough to do so, or they simply bought them. Behind every good idea, there is an inventor. Well, in most cases, there are exceptions to this rule, like YouTube and the story we got with all that. But let's just push all that aside. Someone works hard, creates an idea. The idea is popular and instantly its value is recognized. And someone either pushes them out of the marketplace or they simply buy them. And since money is no object here, think about what that means. The person who creates this thing says, I'm not selling out. And they say, well, did you hear that we said $2 million? No, I'm not selling out. Did you hear that we said $6 million? No, I'm not buying out. Did you hear that you get 1% of all future profits and we're now offering you $100 million? Because money doesn't matter. And so the overall control mechanisms, I mean, this whole system is so one-sided as to be invincible up to the point where the mentality of us all shifts. If at some point we decide this is no longer acceptable, those are the only breaks that I can imagine in this world. Jason? Instagram is extremely popular among younger folks, but it does have users of varied ages. Millions of posts are uploaded on the platform every day, with Instagram users engaging with these posts by liking, commenting, and using hashtags. This sort of behavior is a goldmine for anyone wishing to scrape the insane amount of data being handed over for free. A picture, after all, is worth a thousand words, and so much information can be discerned about individuals from the vast amount of posts made every day. A picture is now worth much more than a thousand words because there's the metadata, data, the location, the time, and many of them, like when I used to sit behind my scope and look at some of the metadata, it would tell the camera settings, the type of, it would tell everything to include where you were, the time of day, just everything. Uh, it's crazy. And if, you know, as I begin to think about Instagram, which is pretty much image-based, and then I started thinking, well, TikTok's video-based. Uh, I'm not sure which one is, is scary. I mean, what would you say, Wayne? In Instagram, those little files that everyone thinks is just a picture, oh, it is well beyond a thousand words, wouldn't you say? Oh, certainly. I mean, just, it, just for a little experiment, anybody out there with a smartphone, pick up your smartphone uh, and take a look. Uh, go in your, your picture gallery and the last photo you took. Uh, just click on that, okay? And when you click on that, if you scroll upwards, 
it'll tell you, first of all, the file size, like how many megabytes it is, and it actually assigns a, a number to it and puts it in your internal storage for your camera. And it has all sorts of metadata attached to it that you may not be aware of. So this in and of itself is a concerning thing because not only do they see your visible picture, they also are able to connect the dots and put together when was this photo taken, what was the location of this photo, what was the context of this photo, and what's the particular identification number of this photo. So they have just those four things alone. And with that, they could make all kinds of inferences about data. Now, if you collect a bunch of these photos in, say, a day's time, uh, like many of the people do with their Instagram, they, they submit these photos, uh, numerous photos throughout the day of various things. Well, they could track all of your activities for that day. Like they, they could see maybe you took a photo of your lunch at a cafe or something. Well, they know where you ate lunch. They know your food preferences. They know the things that you'll spend your money on. They know how far you've traveled from your home or wherever it is or from your work to get there for lunch. They know where you work, where you live. They could base all these things just on a photograph. And not only that, they know what you look like and the company you keep. They also know what uh, your preferences are. They know how much money you're willing to spend. And if they know where you work, they could likely get uh, some metadata, uh, you know, relating to your salary that you make and know how much money you make. And they could have all kinds of this information that they gather just from something as simple as you walking around with your phone all day and posting on Instagram. That's the, the true power of data collection here. So even though they're offering you this service for free, and it's ostensibly so that you could stay in touch with your friends and family and let them know what you're doing and how you're doing this kind of thing and have them uh, follow your activities. Well, they're not the only ones following your activities. In fact, that's secondary. <laughs> Most people really don't care like about what their friends are doing all day long. Do I really need to see a picture of my friend's lunch? No, I don't care what you're going to eat. <laughs> I mean, think, think about that. But yet people do this. And a lot of it is for that dopamine hit, as we've mentioned earlier here as well, because that's the whole thing. They've specifically and particularly designed these technologies and these apps these, these phone apps and stuff like that, to be purposely addictive so that people get that dopamine hit by getting a like or getting attention in this way through doing this stuff, which causes them to go out and do all the more. So you take a picture, somebody likes your picture. Oh, hey, th these people liked this picture. This picture was very popular among my friends. Well, I'm going to go take more pictures of this. So every day you share what you had for lunch. And now they know your dietary habits and can infer your health habits and your health uh, condition based upon that as well. So you see how it's a slippery slope here and it all leads down the trail to more and more specific data collection on each person. So something as simple as Instagram can even have all of that stuff attached to it. And that's what people miss the point on. It's just a picture, they say. And uh, I think Instagram's the one where after a certain amount of time, the picture disappears offline, right? Uh, or do I have that confused with some other app? See, that's the thing. A lot of people are, oh, you take the picture, you post it. And then after a certain amount of time, it disappears and they don't save it or anything like that. So they think it's a little better in that way, but it's really not. Those things never disappear. That's Snapchat, Wayne. That's Snapchat. Okay. Yeah, still collected. Still collected. It's still collected. Multiple copies. The moment you upload, multiple copies have gone. Right. And that's the whole point here. So even though people ostensibly think this kind of thing is safe, and I sometimes confuse them because I don't use any of these apps. I don't even use Twitter or anything like that. The only one I use is Facebook. And even that is questionable at best. So uh, with these other apps, these ones that are based upon you taking pictures throughout your, your day and sharing them with your friends and stuff like that, that to me sounds all the more invasive. I, I don't usually share what I'm doing on Facebook on the regular. I just use it to share show links and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, I see a lot of people doing this kind of thing on there though all the time. And it's concerning how much data could be inferred just from that alone. So uh, something like an Instagram or a Snapchat, even that, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words and the metadata collected through the picture uh, is even more so than if you were to just 
type on there, hey, I'm at lunch right now at uh, you know such and such steakhouse. Uh, it's even more information attached to the picture than just typing out, say, that response into a into uh, the app or something like that. So all of the information they could garner from a picture is much more than they could just from somebody texting what they're doing alone. There's a sadder side to this. You know, I mentioned some of these books written in the 80s and the 90s, and people will make the argument that that was an insider because they couldn't have known that information. It doesn't really matter. Is the information correct or is the information not correct? I would suggest if it was not correct, they wouldn't have been able to publish back in the 80s. They would have been sued by someone. If it was correct and it was an insider, I mean, what's the difference make? People like Coleman and others who wrote on the Committee of 300, there are excerpts from that book that claim way, way back they had already made the decision and this is the committee of 300 that they claim is at the top of the pyramid or near the top of the pyramid, had decided that all the useless eaters were going to be made to act like useless eaters. And one of the ways they were going to do this is get them to spend the majority of their time on frivolous entertainment, like taking pictures of themselves, like watching 30-second video clips, like parking their butt in a chair for every football game that's aired over the networks. These were all planned to somehow make okay the idea that they were labeling everyone as frivolous eaters that needed to be called, and I'm quoting that word, go away, called, because they were no longer contributing anything to the world, and all they were doing was eating the resources. But consider this, and I think we're getting close here, Jason. If someone put you in a room with a nice big projector that was a 10-foot screen, and they just started on the first digital image you ever took and kept rolling one after the another, can you imagine the power in that alone? The psychological profile that you could draw on yourself would be something that was impossible a short 30 years ago, and you're not even an expert. I mean, it's stark what's going on here, but the whole food thing, Wayne, you know what we should do? We should write a science fiction movie where the premise of the movie is some evil genius in the world invented this terrible thing that he wants to get into the food supply. So he simply accessed the data of things like these Instagrams and they found what is the most popular food, you know, that people take pictures of. I'm just saying. Just to be clear on what we are saying. Consider the following quote from the CEO of Instagram, Kevin Sistrom. Instagram isn't necessarily a photo company or a communications company, as I like to say. We're also going to be a big data company. So there it is. We're not, it it isn't. What he says isn't necessarily. Basically, what he's telling you is we don't give a damn about the photos, except they're the payload. (laughs) We're after the data. We're not a communications company because we'll censor anyone we want who's trying to communicate. What we want is the payload. But Wayne, we're pretty much there. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and your work? All right, man. Once again, always a pleasure being on with you guys. Uh, I could be found over on rockfin.com, R-O-K-F-I-N.com backslash Wayne McCroy. That's primarily where I operate from. I also have the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I can also be found at Alchemical Tech Revolution on YouTube.com. I have a Substack account. It's thealchemicalbeacon.substack.com for people that like to read short articles and uh, that maybe connect the dots for some things. I can be found there as well, as well as uh, oftentimes uh, Jason and I will almost every Wednesday night do with the Secrets of Saturn live stream on Rockfin as well. We try to be as consistent as we can with that. I can be found there as well. So people could check out all of those different places. That would be much appreciated. Plus, I also have books out there available. All you have to do is type my name in and they should come right up in the search engine for you. They could be found just about anywhere that sells books at these points. I have four of them available now and I'm currently working on my fifth book, which I hope to have out before the end of the year. So people could look forward to that as well. Thanks again, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much, Wayne. Uh, We're recording this on the 25th of October. We're doing a short turnaround. This episode will come out tomorrow, Wednesday, the 26th. 
Wayne, I hope you will come in when we post this and get all your links and information into the top comment. I know people want me to put names and titles and descriptions. I'm not doing it for the very reason of what we're covering here today. I do everything I can to not assist in censorship and data collection. This is why, and people get frustrated, I ask the guests to come into comments and post their own information, which is already associated with them. Um, I know it seems a, a bit labored, but there it is. Uh, Jason, anything else you want to add? So in hour two, we are going to show you just what TikTok is all about. We're going to show you what makes TikTok tick. So even the word for those that don't pay attention, it's just a habit of mine to do simple numerology because I know the source. So I know the intent of the source. I don't have to question that. T is two. I is nine. K is always 11. So what you have is a 911 encode either way. Nine plus two is 11. Nine followed by K is 911. Talk, T is two. Zero is six. K is always 11. So you have the Marty McFly inverted 611 or 911 with the nine inverted, or you can add six. The nine would be inverted to the two and it's 911 both ways. Uh, and I'll point out why I look at this because most people write tick as T-I-C. Do they not? Just saying anyhow. That brings the first hour of episode 449 with Jason Lingren and Wayne McCroy to a close. The first hour is free to everybody at pro777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two hours, maybe in this case might be a little over two hours. And uh, as everybody knows, once we're with membership, it opens the door to other things. Most people know what I'm saying there. With that, I would like to wish all of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And I will close with this question. What would have happened if back in 99, people would have comprehended the loss of freedom that had just occurred? Would it have changed our road? So here we are all this time later, you know, almost 25 years later, um, uh, you still have the option. We can all still stand up and start announcing the intent that our data is not a free-for-all, that I own my name, that I own my identity, things like this. Anyhow, there it is. Cheers.
enemies of knowing. <laughs>